Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. I have a very unique postcard to show you today. This is from Idaho. Look at this. Bigfoot. How's that? This is from uh, my friend Greg Boggs out in Idaho. He writes, Brother Kurt, everybody needs a fun and weird belief in this crazy world. So I don't know if that means, Greg, that you actually believe in Bigfoot or not, but I'm telling you, this might be the most unique postcard that I've ever received. It's like, it's sturdy. It's like wood. If a tornado hit my house, you would find nothing but this postcard remaining. So Greg, thank you for the Bigfoot postcard, most especially from for, for listening all the way from uh, from Idaho, some of the most beautiful country in all the world is out in that area. So uh, appreciate uh, appreciate that. We are in Mark chapter number 11 in our Bible and we're going to finish the chapter today, Lord willing. Uh, we're in verse number 27. Jesus is in the final week of his earthly life, and as you know, he's made his way into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. We talked about that, and then the casting out of the money changers on that Monday, and all week long, Jesus is just being pummeled by the opposition, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Uh, various religious leaders that are challenging his authority, especially now that he has taken the authority upon himself to cast out the money changers, to upend their temple trade. And then uh, knowing that the people have this messianic fervor and some are claiming that he's the Messiah, this is making everybody that is in a position of authority very, very nervous. So watch what happens in verse number 27. For the Bible says, and they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So these are the uppity ups. They have made it their business to come and to confront Jesus there in the temple. And they say unto him, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? So obviously, these men are those that are in authority, the chief priests. These are they that are of the council, the Sanhedrin council. These are they that are used to calling the shots and making the decisions. And it seems as if Jesus now has wrested that authority from them. So they want to know who gave you this authority that, uh, that you're doing. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you that authority? Uh, We didn't. Uh, I think the question is more rhetorical in nature, that you don't have authority, we do. Who who died and left you, boss? We might say it that way today. So they're asking a legitimate question, although they're asking it perhaps for the, 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 the worst of motives. They're asking yet a legitimate question, and Jesus has an answer. I love 
though the way that Jesus answers. So look at verse number 29. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question. Ever notice how when Jesus dealt with critics, number one, he knew their motives, and the motives here were nefarious. Number two, he was always prodding their thinking. He was always asking follow-up questions that revealed the true nature of their question. Because at first, their question seems innocuous. Hey, by what authority do you do these things? I think to an onlooking crowd, that's a legitimate question. But what does Jesus know? Jesus knows that they really are full of envy. They're full of pride. The Bible is going to go on to tell us that the reason why they killed Jesus is because of envy, uh, that he has the popularity they want. He has the real authority that they want. So they're envious of him. So Jesus is going to follow up their question with a question that will reveal their motives. So verse number 29, so Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So if you can answer my question, I'll answer your question. So what is the question then? that Jesus has for these leaders. Here it is, verse number 30. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. I love that. How simple and yet how profound is that question? The baptism of John, is it valid or invalid? Is it blessed of God or was he an imposter? Tell me about John the baptism of John the, Baptist, uh, John the Baptist. Tell me about him. So think of it. John the Baptist had already been executed, and his execution further entrenched him as a folk hero of that day. People loved John. Uh, he was a burning and shining light. People rejoiced in that light, the Bible says. Uh, they went out to see him in the wilderness. Uh, he had a wildly popular ministry for a short period of time, and People, everybody said, regardless of what you think about John the Baptist, he was a prophet. Now, the problem is that if the religious leaders agreed with that, if they said, yes, he was a legitimate prophet, then, of course, that was tantamount to saying they believed in Jesus because the entire ministry of John the Baptist was about pointing to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So to say that John's ministry was valid was to say that Jesus' ministry and authority was valid. See that? But if they were simply to say, no, we don't believe in John, which they didn't, they did not believe in John. Uh, they did not think that John's ministry was valid. They were they were challenged by him They were upset about his popularity as well. Remember the delegation they sent out from Jerusalem to John in John chapter 1, where they asked him questions like, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? I mean, they were concerned about the popularity of John's ministry. So what are they going to say here? Because Jesus really has them between a rock and a hard place. If they answer this way, uh, that, that, that John was of God, then they have to validate the ministry of Jesus. They don't want to do that. But if they say that John was not a prophet of God, then they're going to alienate themselves from the people, 
And that's the reason why they want to get rid of Jesus in the first place is because they want popularity. So they really don't have an easy answer to do that. Look at what happens in verse number 31. And they reasoned with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. So that's what I just explained. So they're they're thinking through this. They're huddling and saying, hmm, what should we say? Now, the interesting thing is it never occurred to them that they should just tell the truth. You know, they they weren't truth tellers. They, They were politicians. So they weren't looking for what the right answer was. They were looking for the what answer was going to best suit them. So they reasoned about it. And what's interesting is they were all complicit. Like they were all, so these are allegedly the most spiritual people in the country. These are the people that know the Bible the best, that are leading the worship of the Passover feast, that they are actually presiding over the Passover feast. They're representing God. That's what priests do. They represent man to God. So here they are, and yet they, it never crosses their mind to tell the truth. So they are in this moment breaking, willing to break, intending to break the Ten Commandments while they sit in the temple or stand in the temple and represent the Ten Commandments. Just think about how, just how insidious this is, how ironic. How backward. Look at verse number 33. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And that was a lie. So they're they're huddling. They're vacillating between what story to tell. And then he finally said, well, we don't know. The fact is, they did know. First of all, they knew what they believed, that he was an imposter. And I think that down deep in their heart, They knew that John was probably sincere and authentic. But the point was, their answer was neither. Their answer was, well, we don't, we can't really give you an answer. We don't know either way. And so they equivocated, didn't they? And what had Jesus done? Jesus had demonstrated that he had bested them in that argument. Because their question was, who gave you authority? Jesus said, well, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, because that spoke directly to my authority. Was it valid? Because if the answer is yes, then I have authority. If the answer is no, then then I don't have authority in your eyes, so do something about it. So he was exposing the fact that they were fearing the people. He was exposing their weakness, wasn't he? Look at verse number 33 again. They answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering said unto them, neither do I tell. Hey, you can't tell me. Remember our deal. I won't tell you. Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. So understand a couple things. First of all, Jesus did indeed have authority. Why? Because he is Messiah, just as John said. And John's ministry testified and pointed to him. Here he is exercising that messianic authority by cleansing the temple, uh, by declaring uh, to be the son of God. And in spite of the protestations of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, 
Jesus did have authority. They had the opportunity to just say who they were. We are your opponents. We don't believe in John. We don't believe in you. We are arresting you. Now, they do arrest him by the end of the week. But when do they arrest him? In the middle of the night. When do they arrest him? When none of the crowds are around. When do they arrest him? When he's praying alone in a garden. That shows you how cravenly, how cowardly they behave. And Jesus calls them on that. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, late on that Thursday night, early Friday morning when he's arrested, he says, I was with you daily in the temple. Why didn't you arrest me there? And I think when Jesus said that, he was referring right back to this. When, hey, they could have arrested him. They could have denied his authority, but they simply played the political game. And how often, I think, I'm afraid, do we do the same things? We play politics because we, we want to please people instead of just simply relying upon, proclaiming, and answering with the truth of God's word. So I hope that helps today. That finishes uh, Mark chapter number 11. We'll jump into a brand new chapter, a next episode. I hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.